Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why am I with Seabus Super? Because I'm a builder and they take care of me. Well, I had an accident on the work site and they helped me out, no worries. Yeah, they helped me out real fast. Mate, they just get me. Because they are for all of us. Seabus, for all of us. To consider if Seabus is right for you, visit seabussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. Gather round, final word, friends. It's story time. Adam Collins is me. Jeff Lemon is him. It's our weekend edition of the show where we go back into the annals of history and, and tell you a tale or two based around our patron nerd pledge numbers. On the show today as well, we're talking to England opening batsman and World Cup winner Jason Roy. Normally we would do that on the, on the weekly show, but I've got the chance to speak with Jason today. So let's make the most of it and put it straight onto the story time edition of the show. That'll be coming up a little bit later. Uh, hello, Jeffrey. Adam, Adam, yes, uh, it's, a, it's a civilised time of day for both of us. It's not horribly first thing in the morning or last thing at night. Uh, we've got numbers that we've solved, numbers that we've explored, ones that have been bugging us for, for quite some time. Things like this always remind me of, I remember watching some old black and white movie when I was a kid and there was a, a sort of gnarled police type character who said to the main character, you've been the raspberry seed in my wisdom tooth for too long. <laughs> and uh, so somehow that's always stayed with me. So some numbers are the raspberry seed and your wisdom tooth. You're like, what is 557? What is it? And you walk around muttering it to yourself and you spend hours and hours looking up cricket stat databases and, and trying to think laterally and all the rest of it. We'll solve some today. We've got some solutions. Yeah, we, we do. We'll, we'll come to 557 in a bit in our revisits and correspondence. So if you're new to Storytime, if you're new to the podcast for that matter, we take this opportunity each weekend to tell some stories uh, through the Patreon page and through the numbers that come through from Jeffrey Nerd Pledge. It's the game of nerds. It's the game of pledges. You put them together, it's Nerd Pledge. It's the game that we play with people on the Patreon page they decide to sign up and support the show and they send us a number of dollars and cents in a decimal uh, arrangement and somewhere in that number, decoding that number, it relates to cricket in some way and between us, Adam and I and sometimes the broader audience have to figure out what that number means. The first number, the first new number on today's show comes in from Jeff. It's not me. Because that would be weird. Why would I subscribe to my own show? I can listen to it whenever I want. I'm listening to it right now, live as it's happening. But it is from Jeff. It's the correct spelling of Jeff. It's a G off Jeff. There's no last name. Which Jeff it could be? I don't know. A whole range of Jeffs out there. Some good, some bad. Um, the spectrum of Jeff. But this Jeff has gone for a very even, very, very reliable number. It's $4.44. 444, which is a number we discussed 
a couple of weeks ago in terms of world record run chases at one point in time uh, when England made 444 a couple of years ago. It was the world record until they broke it by making 482, was it? 481. Yeah, so this came up the other week. I'm not quite sure why we talked about 444 when the number was 445, but we definitely discussed it. Uh, and then um, and we also... It also well, the run up, chase was 445. Yeah, that's right. Because the was 444. We tried to shoehorn it in that way. Uh, but yeah, 444 <laughs> was the world record for a little while there. In the 05 Ashes, there's a 444 as well, which was the, the innings that... England's first innings when Michael Vaughan made his uh, 166, so his one big sort of defining contribution of that series. Jeff, I remember last year when you and I were sitting around during a rain delay or maybe even a bad light delay actually on the first day at Leeds and we sort of caught Michael Vaughan sitting in the press box watching himself bat in that innings, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like he, and I asked him at the time, he, go, like, he hasn't watched it many times over the years and that popped up in a rain delay. He goes, I'm going to just enjoy this for a while. I'm not doing anything else at the moment. I'm going to watch myself bat. <laughs> Which I thought was quite nice. <laughs> you can interpret that as you will. Um, 444 is also what India made in that famous test match at Adelaide where they had the big run chase on the last day, which they nearly made, and Virat Kohli made twin tons. The first innings they made 444. Uh, so there are a couple floating around there innings-wise. Yeah, and the last innings I'll, I'll quickly bring up is uh, the 444 that we raised a few weeks back when discussing Steve Waugh uh, batting with Glenn McGrath, that was at Sharjah in 2002. So Australia make 444, but Waugh gets to 100 after smacking Danish Canaria for 20 off and over from memory, um, with McGrath watching up the other end. So he was able to get to three figures. So there's a bunch of innings t- tallies, but uh, for this one, Jeff, I wanted to go in a slightly different direction. What got me thinking uh, about it was uh, John Holland, who was the 444th Australian Test cricketer, of course, the the left arm tweaker. But it's another Victorian finger spinner who I wanted to have a, have a yak about with you today, Jeff. Don Blackie, who was who I, I am again shoehorning this in, but I, I think it's a good tale. He conceded four hundred and forty four runs in Test cricket, but the reason he's a good story is he's the oldest debutant in Test cricket. So he played his first test at 46 years and 253 days in the Ashes summer of 1928-29. He'd only made his first class debut at age 42, having picked up cricket again at age 40 on medical advice from his doctor at the time. <laughs> so that got him into the St Kilda 11. Then he progressed to Victoria by age 42. He kept playing for the Vicks, by the way, till he was 51. But he did get three test matches in that summer of 28-29 when Percy Chapman's team uh, came to Australia and flogged the Aussies 4-1. That's, of course, Bradman's first test series as well. But um, our man, Don Blackie, picked up 14 wickets with his finger spin at 32, including 6 for 94 at the MCG is home ground and of course his other home ground uh, at Junction Oval is where the Don Blackie Bert Iamunger stands to this very day of course Iamunger who played test cricket himself until he was 50 years of age another finger spinner um, and of course in the case of Iamunger he's the, the second oldest to ever play test cricket behind a, a third finger spinner in Wilfred Rhodes so a bit of a theme there between old boys who uh, continue to twirl it down well into their 40s and the oldest to debut in test cricket was Don Blackie at 46 Six years, 253 days, conceding 444 runs when playing in the baggy green. So with the really old spinner thing, which is quite a trope if you go back through cricket history, is it just that the game's more amateurish and uh, the, the standard didn't have to be quite so high? Or is it, I mean, obviously, spinners are 
the the one genre of cricketer that tends to be able to play later than most with you, even in modern times with your Brad Hogg types or yeah. you know, your your mate from Sri Lanka who's still going around at forty nine or, or whatever. Oh, right actually, f- funny you mentions uh, my man. So Suwanji Madniyaka, the forty eight year old as of today, it was his forty eighth birthday. So had he on any other birthday, this is my small claim to cricketing history fame. His Crick Info page and his Cricket Archive and Crick Buzz and so on would have had him turning 46 today. But as he explained to me in our interview for The Guardian back in May, somehow at some point along the line, somebody put in 1974 as his birth date when it was 1972. So this year he's celebrating his 48th birthday, but it's the first time the sort of broader cricket community has known how, how old he actually is um, as opposed to the erroneous figure that was put <laughs> in before. So his birthday's today. And he also wants to play first-class cricket, of course, and, until he's 50. So he might be able to join players like Bert Iamunger and Don Blackie and, and Wilfred Rowe. So another of that famous tradition. But yeah, I suppose, Jeff, to answer your question, it's because in that era, the bowlers didn't really bat. Well, the expectations of them with the bat were so limited that with spin being such a touch craft, I suppose, not requiring as much physical strength, there wasn't, you know, if you could do that one thing really well, and, you know, we know that spin is a, uh, spin, generally speaking, is, is something that's more about guile than it is about raw power, then that probably explains why they were able to get away with it more in that era, and I guess in the case of Suwanji still is, although he, he also bats pretty well for his age and has made a, a number of first-class hundreds, but, yeah, that, that would be my sort of interpretation of it, uh, why the old boys were able to do so well back then. Well, that uh, second nameless Jeff, my colleague in Jeffness, is what we're going to say for you and I, but 444. And hopefully we got somewhere near the truth on the way. Dominic Richards is our second up. The number from Dominic, $5.18, 518. Now, 518 was the team score that was made when Matthew Sinclair made his debut double hundred uh, in, well, it'd be a long time ago now, be 20 plus years ago now, uh, Sinclair made two doubles, did he? Amongst, yeah, I think he only made three or four hundreds and, and yeah. two of them were doubles in his sort of stop-start career. It's sort of a sad story when you think about it. Well, sad's the wrong word because if you've made two test double hundreds, you've by definition succeeded. But yeah, three <laughs> test hundreds, two, his first two were doubles. That first one you mentioned when they made 518 was the final test match of the 90s. It was Boxing Day 1999 at, at the Wellington Basin Reserve against the West Indies and then he made another double against Pakistan the following summer and he ended up playing 33 test matches but never really sort of was able to scale the heights uh, as he did at the very start of his career so that was a a 518 which stood out Uh, another for me personally as I know that that was the the first time I picked up five wickets in an innings I know it was when I was like 14 (laughs) I know against St Mary's that was five for 18 as well so that was that that always stays imprinted in my brain yeah not not one that you have to check up on again uh (laughs) I I noted it was also Andrew Simon's best bowling in international cricket against Bangladesh in England in 2005. Now, was that before or after the match where he rocked up blind on the morning of the game and got dropped (laughs) and Australia lost in Cardiff and Mashrafe Mortaza got in the limo and all the rest of it? Yeah, (laughs) it was after. Where did that sit? So what happened on that? It was a tri-series with Bangladesh in, in England and... Australia, yeah, obviously lose in Cardiff famously, and then they bounce back, so to speak, in Canterbury. I was at that game, actually, the second time they played Bangladesh. And then the third time, uh, Andrew Simons ran amok with the ball. I think he was still bowling, if I recall correctly, I think he was bowling medium pace at that stage, just before he became a, a full-time off-spinner. So 
Um, yes, he did take an international five-wicket haul there. Where I landed, though, Jeff, it won't surprise you, given I like to sort of thread our numbers together, it was with another finger spinner. Um, so... <laughs> But the first How many time, finger spinner stories am I going to get today? Yeah, well, this this might be the last one. Uh, so the first okay. five for eighteen in Test cricket was taken in the crazy year of eighteen eighty eight. We've talked about eighteen eighty eight a number of times uh, in in recent weeks on the final word. But what made it even crazier was Good that year. two England sides came out to Australia and New Zealand. That. Australian summer, one under Arthur Shrewsbury and one under George Vernon. And they played all these first-class games in Australia and England because basically then, it's before we had test status, that was applied retrospectively. So teams would just go out. Anyone that could hustle up a a group of tourists to go somewhere would. So for whatever reason, two uh, pioneering entrepreneurs sent out two separate teams and away they went. But they did join forces for one game in early 1888. And that was at the SCG for a test match, what later was described as a test match uh, under the captaincy of Walter Reid. And that was, well, England only made, I mean, you look at the scorecard initially and you're like, well, England all out 113 and they made 137 in their second innings. Um, Charlie Turner, I should add, picked up 12 for 77 from 88 overs with the ball for Australia. So he's done the work, but uh, he wasn't exactly supported by his batsmen. Australia were all out for 42 in their first innings. George Lyman picked up five for 17. And Bobby Peel picked up five for 18, the spinner. Uh, and then England end up bowling Australia out uh, the second time around for 82, and they won by 126 runs. But in the case of Peel, Jeff, I thought you'd like to know that he took 101 test wickets all up at an average of 17. Of course, he shares a name with the uh, the British Prime Minister of the 1830s and 1840s who modernised the legal system and established the police force as we know it today. That's why um, police are known as Bobbies. That comes through that Bobby Peel. And I thought it was appropriate that our Bobby Peel, the cricketer, the Yorkshireman, um, was um, a bit of a... He, he played it fast and loose. He, he was well known for his drinking exploits as well as his bowling uh, and sort of famously sort of rocked up sozzled on a number of occasions when playing for his county and his country. Mm. So he, he may have ran into a, a Bobby or two over the journey. Who's to know? But yes, yeah, so Bobby, Bobby Peel's... Five for 18, the first time those figures were recorded in Test cricket in that very strange encounter in 1888 when they had the combined England team against Australia. Well, Bobby Peel was uh, always the the secret weapon of the famous WG cheater Grace, who, who loved to have a cheat any time he could on the cricket field. Um, he's the one who watered down the pitch at the Oval in order to make it a, a quagmire for the last day of a Test when there was a, a very, very, very localised rainstorm overnight <laughs> at the Oval in at Kensington, which which didn't dampen any footpaths anywhere else in south of the Thames. But um, and Bobby Peel cleaned up on on that last day, and and that came after uh, after a Test match in Sydney where they'd had a, a similar, a naturally occurring version of that had happened where it had rained overnight, and England were defending what eighty odd on the last day and expecting to lose, and, and Bobby Peel was absolutely blind and. And then in the morning had to be dragged into the shower and, until he could sober up enough to stand up and then was marched out on the field and duly took six for, I think, to, to bowl Australia out and win the test. So uh, that's where that's where the, the great, the famous cheat of the 1800s got his inspiration from. So uh, always always good to hear about Bobby Peel. Yeah, there's another story which, which uh, had him urinating on the pitch at one stage, but sort of going through it last night, that was never corroborated, but it was reported in the press at the time that he, that he was so drunk that he rocked up and, and, and had his own localised shower storm um, at one end of the pitch. 
uh, when turning out for a game. I'm not sure if that was for England or for Yorkshire, but in any case, that was that was apparently discredited at the time. But I like to believe that might be close enough to 5.18. So thank you so much to Dominic Richards for that. He had a, a wild slash outside off stump, <laughs> if you will. Uh, the next on our list, Michael Fitzner has come through with $2.48. And I liked this. I liked two forty eight because... Just on the last show, I think we had uh, a number that, what was 220-something that related to the number of test wickets that Andrew Flintoff and uh, Stephen Harmison took in their test careers. If you extend out into the 2005 Ashes Quartet to embrace Matthew Hoggard, he took 248 test wickets in his career. So 248 could match up with Hoggard to, to add in and then we just need to get Simon Jones in for the last mention to, to round out the numbers. Yeah, Jones took 59 test wickets and 269 first-class wickets. Maybe the latter would be better as a nerd pledge. We will see. Time will tell. Kane Williamson, Jeff, one of your faves, 248th man to play test cricket for New Zealand. And the other thing that popped up during the week, uh, which came straight to mind, was that I'm sure you spotted this on social media. Our friends at Wisdom Cricket, they can be a bit cheeky on Twitter. And, and why wouldn't you be? If you've got a big following and you're trying to be seen, sometimes you will need to push the boat out there a little bit. And they did last week when Zach Crawley reached 250. They noted that Zach Crawley has made a test 250 and that Sachin Tendulkar did not make a test 250. Of course, his highest score was an unbeaten 248 against Bangladesh at Dhaka in 2004. But fair to say that you look in the replies of that tweet and it, um, well, they got attention, put it that way, but it was, uh, (laughs) yeah, let's leave it at that. They got the attention thereafter and uh, it was a good tweet. I think they called Crawley the goat as a consequence, which, um, well, there's a little little goat emoji um, as to whether it was Crawley, not Sachin, who was the greatest of all time. And um, that prompted um, plenty of earnest discussion as well, despite the fact that they were clearly taking the piss. But yes, Sachin, two, four, eight, not out. (laughs) And that could be yours, Michael, or Matthew Hoggard or Kane Williamson. Let us know, all good options. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Next up on our new numbers, Daniel Hill has come in with another beautifully symmetrical uh, number, $5.55, which in my brain was just, uh, it it got slightly morphed to become what the the dropship pilot says in the movie Aliens, uh, the second in the Aliens franchise, when they're dropping down onto the surface of the planet where the the colony is, where things things will go from bad to worse. Uh, In the pipe, five by five is what they say on the radio to let the uh, host ship know that all is well. So this is not five by five, but it is five, 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 which is five by five. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, I was thinking bowling figures for this because I just like, I liked the symmetry. If I'd, if I'd taken five for 55, I'd be very happy with the symmetry of that. Um, Sohail Khan was one of your favourites. The Pakistani quick took five for 55 in that World Cup game against India at the Adelaide Oval, which had one of the most outrageous sunsets I've ever seen. Remember the photos from that game where the sky was just a boiling sea of of hot pink magenta magnificence behind uh, the you know as the backdrop to that game. I remember that um, clearly the the sky more than the game. I suppose uh, Rashid Khan took it five for fifty five. In the first innings in that Test match win against Bangladesh, that one that no one was expecting Afghanistan to win, and uh, Jenny Owens, the the mystery spinner from Perth who bowled leggies and offies, took five for fifty five in a Test match in England in nineteen eighty seven 
to preserve a lead in that Women's Ashes series. But the one that I thought it was likely to be above those was Kirtley Ambrose at the MCG in 1996. Uh, I'm sure you'd remember that as well. The the 5 for 55 in the first innings and then 4 for 17 in the second. Absolutely monstered Australia after they'd gone. I think, did they win the first two of that series? Yeah, they, yeah. They were ahead. I think they were 2-0 two, two up. Yeah, they, they won in Brisbane, didn't they? So it might have been... Yeah. 1-0 coming to Melbourne. In, in any case, you're spot on about Ambrose in that test match. I mean, it was a real turn-back-the-clock effort. Not to say that Ambrose wasn't still near enough to his best in 96, but we'd seen Ambrose in Australia in 88, 89 and 92, 93. And, to, and, he, and he, if I recall correctly, didn't have the best start to the tour. Um, there was that uh, there was that game at Perth when he intentionally bowled like like 10 no balls in and over to make a statement. Was he bowling at Shane Warne, possibly, at the end of that test match and he'd had a number of drop catches off Matthew Hayden and to make a point he just kept overstepping time and time again and and the wheels were falling off a little bit for him there but he bounced back at Melbourne, bowled absolutely brilliantly. Uh, Ambrose at his most potent and picked up nine in the test match so that easily could be it. I had um, another final word fave though Jeff um, for my Option 555 was the inning score when, uh, wait for it, Graham Yallop made 268 against Pakistan in 1983. The amount of times we've somehow ended up on Graham Yallop's 268, but we're we're back there again. Uh, He batted for 716 minutes in that innings, and he actually also made, I had a quick look to find out, 554 runs in that series. One more run and it would have been absolutely perfect, but not to be. But possibly still, Yallop 268 out of 555. Get out of my house, Graham Yallop. Get out, what, like, why do you keep showing up, Graham? I mean, for someone who was a fairly ordinary cricketer, he's on this show way too much. Wasn't he a South African rebel tourist as well? He get get was, out of the show, Graham Yallop. He, he, yes, he was. He, he did go on the rebel tours at the end. Uh, I suppose his former captain, Kim Hughes, was, was on that, that tour as well and a, a number of the guys that played in the early 80s. So, yes, less probably said about that, the better. But uh, Daniel Hill, there's a, a bevy of options for you to pick from or if we've got it wrong. That's the good thing about what we've got going on on Patreon at the moment. If we're nowhere near the mark, let us know. Send us a DM and we can work it out before next week. The last of our new numbers today, this is special. It's coming in from a, a, a double effort, a, a couple effort rather than a, a double header of two people with the same number um, separately. But it's coming in from Nama and Jeff Shang. This is also a G Jeff. We've had two Jeffs on the show today. Well, and me. So we've had three. With and I feel I feel seen at last for the first time. Always outnumbered by the Adams. We've got Adams Glore, Adams out the wazoo on the final word. But never never Jeffs. We don't have any Jeffs. We we've had we've had Adam Adam Soffer. Uh, yes, who's written into the show. We've had Adam Brown, who owns Bear Cricket, uh, who've done sponsorship stuff with us we've had adam hewitt adam jones adam reed dale adams all signed up on patreon not a lot of jeffs haven't seen a lot of jeff action and yet today triple jeff triple threat so thank you nama for bringing jeff along and the number the number that has come in from nama and jeff is two one Three, two, thirteen. <laughs> hey, it's the final words magic number. Two hundred and thirteen. Two dollars thirteen. Two one three. Twenty one point three. Whatever you want to call it, however you want to phrase it, this is the number. Two thirteen. The number we love. The number we talked about more than any other. Two thirteen. Two thirteen. Adam, 
It's the magic number. It, it started off, it's, it's a number we've, we had a lot early on, a lot of people wanting to evoke the World Cup semi-final in 1999, in which 213 was the tied score. Then there was Elise Perry's double 100 at the North Sydney Oval in a test match, 213. And we went from there. If you cast your mind back to an episode which is called Chasing the Golden Number from a few months ago, we went through literally every possible international professional cricketing <laughs> permutation of 213, I'm pretty sure. Um, so so I, know, I know whatever you're thinking of. I'm, I'm confident I've got it. But it's, the question is which of the many, many, many famous, wonderful, epic 213s it could be. Yeah, what you thinking? And not in the Ian Botham uh, public DM style of what you're thinking. Well, 213, I had one extra thought. It's that a few weeks ago, we were kindly sent through a list of all the first class double hundreds ever made. And I'm yet to go through it mm-hmm. for 213, but I might do that uh, between now and uh, the next time we convene and next time we converge around 213, which I'm sure we will at, one, at some Please. stage or another, for it is one of the, the truly great final word numbers. So thank you so much to Nama and Jeff for being a part of what we're doing, but also for for tapping right into the soul of the show. Yes, and if you want to drop us a patron DM and, and let us know which of the two thirteens is yours, please do so. But uh, it, it could be it could be so many. It could be so so many. We'd be here all day if we tried to look at all the two thirteens. Uh, that is the end of our new numbers. We're going to revisit some of the ones that we may not have got right recently if you'd like to send us a new number you just go to patron.com slash the final word sign up make an account and you can set the number to be whatever you would like it to be for as long as you would like to do it for and you can help us keep the show going which is very much appreciated revisits adam jesse g we knew this one was tough we knew it was tough when we got it because of the hints the number was 124 there was a hint that said it had something to do with 4 and 124 at the same time. We tried a few things, but we weren't confident. We threw it open to the audience and they delivered. I knew they would as well. The few times we've put uh, numbers out to the crowd on Storytime in the past, they've come through with some wonderful answers and uh, that was the case again here. So Locavore UK tweeted us saying that uh, both JHB Waite of South Africa and Prasanna Jaiwadna took 124 test catches and scored four test centuries. And Prasanna also has four first names, which I thought was quite clever. That worked quite nicely. Very nice. Got a message on the patron DMs from RJ who noted that patron saint of the final word, Aravachandran Ashwin, his highest score in test cricket is 124 and he also has four test centuries. Um, RJ said he wasn't entirely sure why Jesse would be a massive Ashwin fan, but his link to the to the final word through his running out of the non-striker enthusiasm did suggest that there might be a link there. Uh, and so that one, that was a very good suggestion too. It could easily be that. Uh, but who, who I think it is, is Hypercourse. Who we talk about a lot on the show, of course, John Leather, a patron of ours as well. He jumped into my tweet. I mean, I reckon we published the show at, say, 8pm um, Australian time and by about half past 10 in the evening, I had a message from, from Courses saying, Kumar Sangakara's record fourth consecutive ODI century, a feat only he and Amy Satterthwaite have achieved, was 124 versus Scotland in the 2015 World Cup. So Sangat made 105 not out against Bangladesh, 117 not out against England, 104 against Australia. Then his fourth on the trot at that World Cup of 2015 was 124 against Scotland. What a gem. That has to be it, surely. 
If you're on Twitter, follow Hypocaust, H-Y-P-O-C-A-U-S-T, for the best stats going around, particularly on the women's game and women's domestic cricket and cricket that otherwise doesn't get a a huge amount of profile. Hypocaust is always in there. I'm very confident that's going to be what it is. Jesse G, let us know. Rob O'Neill, this is the other one we've been having some trouble with for Mm. a few weeks. The number is 557, and there would be lots of ways to solve 557, but in some ways, sometimes the more clues you get, the harder it can be to come up with an answer because, you know, it's got to be be specific. Now, I've been thrashing around with this for literally two weeks, I think, trying to work out what is what is going on here. And and Rob Rob has done everything possible. He's, he's, he's given me as, as much as he can. So here, here's where we've narrowed it down to clue-wise. It involves a player from either Pakistan or the West Indies. It's test cricket rather than any other form of cricket. It's men's test cricket. It's a single event that happened in a single match and it involved a player who toured Australia twice in the early 1980s. Now, you would think with all of those things, given some of the very arcane stuff we've been able to figure out on the show, we would be able to figure this one out. Uh, to, to narrow it down even further, Rob then said that I'd mentioned a category that was, in fact, the correct category on the previous show without going into it, which meant that it really needed to be something about deliveries faced or minutes battered in a test match. But... I don't know if I'm misinterpreting the information here. No one in a test match has ever faced 557 balls in an innings or batted 557 minutes in an innings. If you go across two innings in a test match, still nobody has batted for 557 minutes. One player has faced 557 balls, but that was in 1973. That was Roy Fredericks of the West Indies. So can't be that because that was before the time in question so then i was looking at i was like maybe it's in a series gordon greenwich faced 557 balls in a series in india but rob was suggesting it was to do with something in one match so then i thought maybe it's not to do with deliveries that one person has faced but that one person has bowled to batsmen this is the closest i got this was the one that i felt was I liked the feeling of it. Abdul Qadir, who we've spoken about on the mm. show a number of times, in a test match in Faisalabad in 1982 against Australia. So fits all of the bills in terms of time, touring Australia and so on. In Faisalabad, bold 557 deliveries across a test match. That's 92.5 overs in a test, which is a grim workload. But the other thing Rob said was that he doubted this would ever be exceeded. And Abdul Qadir himself bowled more than that on two other occasions in right. test cricket. And some other spinners have bowled more than 100 overs. Not not heaps of times, but maybe 40-odd times in the history of the game. So it's up there, but it's not the most ever bowled. So... That's about the closest that I got. But unless I'm not understanding something about, because it really has to be about minutes batted or deliveries faced in a test, there is nothing I can find that matches that unless I'm missing something completely obvious or I've misread the clues. If you think you know what it is, drop us a line. Or Rob, if you want to put us out of our misery, send us to a farm in the country where we'll have a lot of room (laughs) to run around. Well, first of all, well played, Rob O'Neill, because I've, Look, Jeff, I've known you a long time and uh, I know how obsessive you can get around these things and I've, you've sent me a number of messages on WhatsApp when you've been toiling 
through this process. And the fact that you've not quite gotten there suggests this is one of the all-time great um, nerd pledge numbers. So if uh, based on all that information, if you're listening in and you reckon you've got a better answer than what Jeff has given, well, please, this is the time we're going to ask you for help on that one. Rob O'Neill, you are Jean Valjean and I am Javert. I will, I will catch you or I will hurl myself <laughs> into the river. One or the other will come to pass. Uh, Jeff, the next revisit wasn't so tricky for me because I was able to work it out rather quickly. Oh, yeah, gloat. Yeah, just have a, just rub it in, why don't you? Yeah, I enjoy it. Gregory Wellman, 735. So we had Mitchell Johnson's indoor cricket figures, 7 Fenegate 35, and we had some, As you would. Brilliant, some brilliant follow-up correspondence last week on Storytime if you want to hear about that game in greater detail. But the clue we received from Gregory on the patron DMs during the week was that it involved county cricket. So that ruled out Mitch's indoor career in Perth after he finished playing international cricket. And of course, it was 7 for 35 that Simon Harmer took last year. Not one of his myriad seven-wicket hauls in first-class cricket, but on finals day, T20 finals day, his combined figures in the semi-final and the final last year was 7 for 35, of course. Harmer leading Essex to the title, one of two titles they won that week. If you want to learn more about um, their success, we actually spoke to Derek Pringle, former England and Essex great, uh, last year in September to talk about how they did it under Simon Harmer's tutelage and uh, I reckon that's where Gregory Wellman would have been, 7 for 35. Thanks to him for such a generous pledge, and I hope we've got to the bottom of it. Brooke Quinn's $3.11. This one we've sold via the assistance of our listener, Dave Diogenes Brown. While I was still digging around for some answers as well, I got a, a ping on my phone of a, a notification online, and Dave had got to this before I'd managed to. The 3 one one was nothing to do with batting because I'd been looking at things that Michael Bevan had been doing. This was about a, a sort of modest but encouraging start for a future great. In Sri Lanka in 1992, I want to say. Yes, definitely. There was there was a match there was a match in which the Sri Lankans made a shitload, they made five hundred plus and they were set 180 to win in the fourth innings and they lost a bunch of wickets but still looked like they were probably going to stagger home and then enter SK Warren, who hadn't done so well previously in Test Cricket, the 1 for 152 in Sydney and all the rest of it, uh, came in, bowled 31 deliveries and took 3 for 11. So the 3-1-1 refers to 3 for 11, the bowling figures across 31 balls taken by Shane Warne. And I'm sure Brooke Quinn uh, knows why that's so significant, as you say. This was the turning point for Warne. It's actually the second last series that wasn't on television in Australia. So the final one was 94 when they went to Pakistan. But in terms of test cricket, this was sort of newsreel coming through and we were sort of following it uh, when you woke up in the morning. It was actually late at night. But Sports World have the highlights package of this on that particular Sunday with Bruce McAvaney hosting the show. It lives on YouTube somewhere, but basically it was Warne and Greg Matthews bowling out at Sri Lanka and it was yeah, really the turning point for Warren. He comes back to Australia the following summer. He takes 7 for 42 against the Windies at the MCG and the rest is kind of history. We know what he does uh, in England the, the the following winter. So, But yeah, that, that big moment for him uh, winning a test match on his own. Well, not on his own. He had Matthews with him but um, being instrumental in the fourth innings which he would go on to do for the following 15 years or something like that before he uh, retired in January 2007. So an important moment, even though it's, you know, he took, I think, 30-odd five-wicket bags. Uh, I reckon this was as important as any of them in getting him in that right direction. Gus 
Crouch's 319. Uh, we were looking around at a couple of international innings. It, it was a first-class one. Instead, it would have been on your list of first-class triple hundreds, Adam. Chris Rogers made 319 in 2006 against Gloucestershire, and, and that was where Gus was reaching back to those, those, those halcyon days in England uh, in the early 2000s. Yeah, Jeff, you said last week that Gus is an old soul, a young man with an old soul. It's, it makes sense that he's looking back at cricket scorecards from the county championship in 2006 when Bucky uh, made his triple ton. I note during the week that the great man has been appointed uh, the new coach of Victoria uh, for the upcoming season. He won that really big job, so congratulations to Chris. I know he's a listener to the show uh, and we're thrilled for him. Uh, that's a, a wonderful thing for him to now be able to do. Uh, he's been, you know, over the last few years working up at the National Cricket Centre in Brisbane. Before that, he was the assistant coach at Somerset, did some work uh, with some other clubs in the county championship as well, but I'm sure he's going to be a great asset back in Victorian cricket, uh, and I'm glad that Gus's number has been resolved to be Bucky's 319. And our last resolution comes from Jack Firth. The number was $4.45, and the hint was that Adam was definitely not at this match, which eventually we interpreted to mean that it was a match that involved a test hat-trick, which Adam has never seen. I thought I was pretty clever when I said Pakistan made 445 in the game in which Nassim Shah took a hat-trick earlier this year, the most recent test hat-trick. But Jack said, no, that's not it. It's related to England. And so I was trying to do this without just looking up lists of hat-tricks because that would have been the, the easy way to do it. And I was thinking, well, who got hat-tricks? And I was thinking, well, first I was thinking Andy Caddick because I was remembering the four wickets in and over. And I was, that's, that's kind of where my brain was going. But then I remembered that that wasn't actually a hat-trick in that over. It was no. four, yeah. four wickets in, in sort of two-wicket bursts. So Caddick did take the four in an over, and he did take four for 45 in another test in that same series, but not in that match and didn't take three in a row in the match where he got four in the over. Then I was thinking about Matthew Hoggard. There's that hat-trick that Hoggard took in 2003 or so against the West Indies. His figures for that, Particular innings, four for 35, not four <laughs> for 45. I wanted four, four, five. It didn't quite get me there. What was even more frustrating was that in the middle of that Hoggard hat trick, when the second wicket of the hat trick fell, the West Indies were four for 45. <laughs> now, if the third wicket had been four for 45, that would have been sweet. But the third wicket was five for 45. So that ruined it. It couldn't have been that. And, and finally, I, I somehow managed to crawl to the conclusion that it was much more recent than that, and it was one that had slipped my mind because it was cleaning up the tail. But Moeen Ali in 2017 at the Oval, that is a game that Adam could have conceivably been at and was not at, and Moeen's figures in that innings were four for 45. Jack Firth, four for five, that is you. That's right, because I was at three days of that test match and not that one. And I can't quite remember why <laughs> I wasn't there. It was a Sunday afternoon, Jeff, and you were in the yeah. country that year. The Women's World Cup. Oh, yeah, it was Champions Trophy finished. and whatnot. Yes, yeah, so the Women's World Cup had just finished, I, I seem to recall, when uh, when Moeen took his hat trick at the Oval. So it was late in the summer. I just can't quite. Oh, actually, no, I do remember where I was. Sorry. It was not a, it was not a Sunday at all. It was a Monday, and I was out at Stratford waiting to walk into the Olympic Stadium to watch the Track and Field World Championships. That's why I wasn't there. I had tickets with another patron uh, of the show, Alan Edgar, who we were talking about. He's seven oh five for a number of weeks on Storytime. Well, Alan and I had oh, tickets. So to, many weeks had tickets to the uh, to the stadium that night. That's why we were watching in the pub. Uh, Moeen uh, pick up his hat trick and didn't get to be at the ground for it. So I was skiving <laughs> off work. So I bloody deserved not being there. 
uh, for that um, that hat trick, and I will never see one. That's that's sure. We had the game I was calling. Uh, last weekend so it doesn't just extend the test cricket by the way I've never seen a first class hat trick either uh, three separate occasions uh, during the week at Radlett between Middlesex and Sussex they, they were fast bowlers were on hat tricks and on three occasions they were very close calls and none of them quite went to hand so it's it's just not meant to be I'm sure of it <laughs> I think that's the conclusion of the numbers we have to look at today and the the stories we have to tell of cricket feats past. If you want to play the game, as we said, patreon.com slash the final word, send us a number. We will do our very best to get to the bottom of it by an extremely circumlocutious way. Um, But at least you know that we put the time in. If you send us a number, if it takes us six weeks to work it out, we'll buddy spend six weeks on it to work it out. There's no slacking off on this show. And thanks again to everyone who's been part of Nerd pledge patron and the show more generally uh through lockdown in melbourne uh i know how tough it must be over there having gone through three months of it over here earlier in the year and the fact that so many people are still engaging with us on the dms week to week it's pretty cool so we're really grateful that this weekend show can continue to tick over thanks to the kind support of everyone who listens to the final word jeff we might leave it there and after a very quick break i'll be back talking to england opening batsman and world cup champion jason roy Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. This is The Final Word with Adam Collins and I'm thrilled to have with me England World Cup champion and opener Jason Roy on the show. G'day, Jason. Hey, buddy. How's it going, man? I'm, I'm well. I'm well. I see you're wearing your new kit for the England White Ball Summer. So tell me all about that. That's how we get you on the show. So I've got to at least give you a chance to talk about it first. <laughs> yeah, some token chats about the new kit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, what can I say? They've produced a nice bit of kit again, um, and hopefully we can get some wins in it, mate. Hopefully it's a successful one for us. So New Balance also had that fantastic World Cup kit last year, of course. Was there a temptation uh, amongst you and your colleagues to say to them, no, 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 keep it as it was. We've had that 92 World Cup replica of sorts. Well, it was a kind of conversation. There was a bit of a conversation about it, but then we, I think everyone came to the conclusion that that kind of, we should keep that for World Cups, you know, have the full all-in-one colours and stuff like that. Keep the keep that for World Cups because this is our T20 shirts. So the, the actual shirt is the same, but we play in, in, in like these navy in navy bottoms. So we keep the all-in-one for the World Cups, so which is quite cool, I think. You had a big day yesterday as far as uh, ruling yourself out of the uh, T20 series against Pakistan with a side strain. How did you pick up the injury? And do you think you'll be sweet for the Australia stuff next week? Pretty pretty disappointed, mate, to be honest. I mean, um, I don't know. It was, it was a bit of a weird one. I was... I batted for about an hour, hour and a bit with Thorpey and, and, and Triscothic and working on loads of bits and pieces. And I thought, oh, I'll go and do some range hitting, see where I'm at. And hit a couple. And I was like, oh, sweet. And then I kind of put a, put a lot of effort into to a couple and just kind of felt it kind of a little bit. It was a bit awkward, really. Um, and then, yeah, I just pulled out straight away. Left it for a day, and then I was like, "No, nah, sorry, Fizz, like something's up." So, do you think, as far as I mean, has the has the medical prognosis basically been sit out these three games against Pakistan, and you'll be fine to go when Australia play? Well, not not hundred percent fine to go. We've got to kind of that's why I'm staying up here in the bubble now. Usually, more often than not, the guy we get sent home to to do some whatever and and get fit again. But um, they've asked, and I've asked as well to kind of stick around, train most days, try mm-hmm. and speed up this recovery as quick as possible generally speaking i've been quite a quick recover in the past so i'm positive but that's just me i'm, I'm always positive yeah. the bubble's a funny one i mean you were there for a few weeks for the island one day as what two or three weeks ago now but obviously had to do it a, a period of time in there before uh, that series started now you've got a young family i'm in a similar boat i'm going into the bubble for a couple of weeks uh, for the australia stuff and you know i've got a 
young daughter as well. And it, it, it's taxing, isn't it? It, it? It's one message that's came out loud and clear from the players throughout the summer, Pakistan, West Indies, England, is that this is hard work. Yeah, and it's just, I think we're very lucky. We've, we've got a great bunch of people around us, so it makes it a lot easier and stuff. We've got a nice big games room and stuff. But yeah, that wears off after about a week. Mm. <laughs> you can enjoy it, enjoy catching up with everyone. And there's only so much you can say to people, isn't there? And then, I, I don't know, I think it is tough, but it's a different kind of mental side of the game. You've got to kind of get your head around. You've got to try and find things, whether it's reading, playing Call of Duty, uh, ever to get your mind off cricket sometimes, because otherwise it can be all-consuming. You know, I've got my cricket bag in my room here, and it's just yeah. like, leave the ground, come back here, looking at the ground here. So it's all, it's all quite tough to kind of switch off from the game. That's the, that's the hardest part, I think. But, and then as well as the, the crowds, that's... Yeah, I mean, it, I guess it's this adjustment, isn't it? I saw yesterday you've also uh, withdrawn from the IPL. I mean, it's obviously a strange time about what, you know, for, for a lot of players around the world, isn't it? It's not as straightforward as it otherwise would be. No, not at all. And I, the, the, the old IPL thing was kind of personal preference. I think it's a good opportunity, like, with the amount of cricket that's been played, a couple of niggles on my shoulder, and now my side is just proving the mm. point that kind of spend the next couple of months looking after myself kind of getting to back to where I know I should be cricket wise because during COVID and, and during the complete lockdown everything was good you can you, my running was good cycling all the stuff that kind of ticks you over and makes you feel good but then you come into actual cricket specifics and you're a little bit behind naturally because you haven't had the opportunity to net and all that sort of stuff so um, I just think it's a nice opportunity for me to, to do that and looking at the schedule over there it's pretty hectic so mm. Yeah, it'll be a nice opportunity to get kind of fit and raring to go again because I'm 30 now and want to kind of prolong my career. Yeah, I noticed that you turned 30 during, well, not quite lockdown, it was July, but not long after we'd obviously all been through that that process. That, for, for some people, turning 30 can be quite a daunting thing as far as, you know, it, it can symbolise you know, the start of a new chapter, you know, the end of your youth, I suppose, is one way of interpreting it, maybe some would say. How is that for you, in, especially in a, in a season where there are these lost months? I know we're making up for it now to an extent, but at the time, we didn't know whether we'd play any cricket in 2020. Yeah, my, my youth will never get lost, mate. I'll, I'll still there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it was a strange one, but I think I'm really enjoying it. I think it's it's nice because you kind of turn into a bit more of a senior player. I don't know why, mm. but you, you get the big 3-0 and it's it's pretty pretty good feeling. So, I don't know. I think we've done the best we can do to get some cricket in. But I, th- I see um, I see Surrey have started also, is it next Thursday? They're, they've got members being allowed to come watch their games yeah. or something. So, I mean, things are going in the right direction. I think the government are kind of loosening things up a little bit for us. But who knows, mate? It's just so... Everything's just up in the air, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I suppose knowing that you would have been going to a T20 World Cup in Australia in October, that's cancelled, it gets delayed by 12 months. Thinking about your team, your white ball team specifically, you kind of, it, it's hard to sustain greatness in a team sport. We know that, right? And the fact that you were world champions in one day cricket last year, you were bouncing straight into the T20 cycle, loads of warm up games, loads of bilateral series, and now that's kind of taken away. It's like you've got to try and find a way of sustaining greatness for 12 more months. Yeah, we need to just keep that rhythm going. That's why it's quite good to have these these bubbles because people coming in are understanding the culture that we're trying to lead. And I think that's ma- that's like the main thing. I think all the players have got the skills, the capabilities, but the culture surrounding how we play our cricket is probably the most important thing. So hopefully we can just keep that rhythm. And like you said, the lack of games is tough and it kind of makes it a lot harder to keep that rhythm. But I think we'll be all right. 
the island one day is a couple of weeks ago when you're in the I guess the other the the, the sort of the uh, one day international bubble. But the, the funny thing about that, the unusual thing about that was that it was at the same time that the test players were somewhere else. I mean, it's it's, it's not conventionally the way that uh, you've got sort of two separate England teams. Did that add to the weirdness a little bit that it went from watching your colleagues playing test cricket to suddenly you're on the next day playing against Ireland in, in, a, in a different format altogether? And then you've also got two different kind of sets of off-field coaches and backroom staff as opposed to others. And it felt like two completely different squads, which is just the way it was. And we had to get on with it. But it was a very strange feeling to know. Obviously, the, their main head coach... Spoons was at uh, Chris Overwood was at the test stuff, and then we had had Collie. So it was was quite strange, but I think it was always going to be the first series back um, after all of this was always going to be a bit weird. And I definitely found it quite hard to kind of not motivate yourself because that's the wrong word. You play for England; it's pretty special. But just to kind of get up for it and. Uh, make sure, make sure you're getting the most out of yourself because you're just surrounded by cricket 24/7. It was a long, it was quite a long time to be there to play three games. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, it's strange. Going back to lockdown, those months when we were all kind of away and you know living in London was tough then because it was the epicenter of the pandemic. It felt like for a while there around the world, maybe not literally the case that it was the epicenter around the world, but it certainly felt that way, the way that, you know, each day the numbers were coming out, such a high volume of deaths. And then in our little world, we're watching Sky Cricket and seeing replay after replay of the World Cup final, which you obviously feature prominently in when, when it comes to the, the business end with the uh, with the Super Over. Um, do you sort of freak out watching it back time and time again and sort of think, you know, you have to complete that throw every time you watch it back and you need I to know... It's a horrible, it's a horrible feeling because I just <laughs> myself don't mess this up, don't mess this up, don't mess this up. And if I had, it would have just been the end of it. I, I, I've said it before. I think I just would have turned around and walked into the stand and hung my boots up. I reckon I would have <laughs> forgotten that moment. But um, I've only we we sat down during lockdown as a as a team on Zoom and, and watched the watched the replay. But that's the only time I've ever really watched it. And even then, I was watching bits and pieces of it. I haven't sat down and actually watched it properly. Just because it's, I don't know why. Do you get emotional watching it? Because you kind of think that when you're 50 or 60 or whatever, like people are going to watch that back and they're going to have this extraordinary response. You know, the Trafalgar Square scenes and even in the in the media centre where we were, it was such a immersive experience. D- does that affect you as well as a player? Are you able to give yourself a bit of distance watching it now and know that, um, you know, you needed to be cool on the day and you can still kind of be cool about it? Or do you now get affected by the emotions of it all? No, I, weirdly, I, I, I don't really. I think it was emotional for the whole team winning. I think the hard work we put in and to be winners in a World Cup on home soil was something that doesn't like happen a lot. It might not happen for a long time, do you know what I mean? So who knows what's going to happen? But it was something that will always be close to my heart. And I think now we just kind of put that aside now. We've done that. We've ticked that box. Now we need to keep going. Now we've got T20 World Cup. We want to hold both of those. And then we got the following World Cup, 50 over World Cup. I think that's what we've always done well as a side and as a squad is we've looked forward. We've kind of, we've had a game, we've done really well, we've done really badly and we've just left it. We've learned from it and then and then moved to the next. So I think that'll always hold a special place in everyone's heart, obviously. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got to look forward. What always sticks out to me looking back at all the sort of highlights one year on, both from the World Cup and the Ashes, was just how how full on the entirety of the summer was in a beautiful way, incidentally, that, you know, there was this sense of the whole cricketing world was uh, in England and, and focused on what we're all doing, whether it's on the field or 
the work that we do or whatever. And I mean, I remember we spoke, I think, twice. Once at Surrey before the season and then once when the 100 was launched and, you know, obviously the 100 isn't happening this year, but pretty much either side of your test taboo in, in some respects. And looking back at it now, you get that opportunity at test level and, you know, whatever will be, will be. But it was a kind of tough time to be asked to debut in test cricket when you'd gone through such a roller coaster through the World Cup, not only with getting the job done, but also the injury you picked up half the way through. Like, have you had a chance to kind of digest all that went on in that Ashes summer when you did get a chance to play, or is it still something that you you, know, you might process in years to come? No, I, I've processed it, luckily. I haven't let it kind of fester too much. I let it fester for a couple of months after after the Ashes. It was hugely disappointing. I was just more disappointed than anyone else in the world, trust me. But um, it was a definite roller coaster going, playing in the World Cup, being up, getting injured, going down, getting back in, winning, going up, playing against Ireland, up, played well there, and then test stuff, playing in the Ashes, literally sky high, like this is the best feeling in the world. And then not being able to succeed at a role that you kind of thought maybe you could was an absolute hammer blow. Low, pro, one of the lowest I've probably been um, in my career just because it was such a, such a demoralising feeling. All to Australia, obviously they're an incredible bowling attack. You can't, I couldn't do much about a lot of the, the dismissals, but mm-hmm. it just, yeah, it was, it was hard to kind of get my head around it. Once the Ashes finished then, the next couple of months were, were quite tough um, as far as kind of just getting my head around and getting back up for it. Was it kind of like, did it help that when you were able to take it as a whole, like not sort of the week to week of playing test cricket, but looking at 2019, so say we were in October or November when it was all over, that you could uh, invest more in the positive experience of June and July rather than perhaps the more negative experience of, of August and September? Mate, the, the whole thing was, like, I looked at it at the end of the year, so a couple months later when I, when I got my head around the whole year, I was just like, I've played in the World Cup, we've won a World Cup, and mm. I've played in the series. Like, that is so special. The same year I won a World Cup, I played in the Ashes. Like that's yeah. absolutely incredible. Aside from the fact I didn't do very well, there were so many other performances in that Ashes was incredible to be a part of. So I kind of said that to myself, looked at the positive side of things, put put all my personal rubbish behind me and just thought that was absolutely incredible. Such an honour, you know? And no one can take that away from me. Even though I, did, I might not have succeeded, no one can take the fact that uh, I played in Ashes. It's quite cool. Absolutely. And, and like some of your colleagues have elected to go down the white ball specialisation route. But again, talking to you last year, it, I, di- I didn't get that impression from you. And moreover, I mean, the fact that you made yourself available for Surrey and that Bob Willis, what was it, three days after you left the island bubble last week and down at Arundel, it, it kind of hinted that, you know, you're not finished as a red ball player. It's simply that you're going to have to start a game when it comes to building, I guess, the bank of runs up at that level to go get another opportunity. Wasn't the best, best prep, obviously. I hadn't seen a red ball since one of the Aussies took my poles out of the ground. So it was kind of like <laughs> I had to, to get my head around playing playing down in Arundel, which, which, which I wanted to do. And obviously, sorry, I've been so unlucky this year with, with injuries and yeah. missing players and just results, just whatever. But um yeah, I'm not. I'm not done with Red Bull cricket. I want to prove to myself more than anyone, mate. It's just, it's just a part of my career that I want to want to tick off. Yeah. So as far as Red Bull cricket's concerned, it's like last year was last year. This is this year, and you know, I suppose you could view the age of thirty as almost like a mid-career point, right? I mean, you've been an England player for five or six years. You might get five or six more years. It's not as though at thirty or twenty-nine, when you played your most recent Test match, that you sort of say, "Well, that's it." You, you view it as a starting-off point again. Not at all, mate. Not at all. And you see the players that have come in at 32 and, and done yeah. extremely well 
hundreds and stuff like that. So, mate, it's who knows what's going to happen. You never know with this game. It's a strange game. Sports a strange industry. So you just got to keep your head up and, and keep pushing forward. Jason, I know you got to get moving, so I just wanted to thank you for uh, taking some time to have a chat on what's been yeah, an, un, an un, uneventful week as far as being in the bubble, but hurting yourself and pulling out of the IPL and all the rest. It would have been easy to have not talked to the media this week, but you've done so, and, and we appreciate that, and thanks for being part of the final word. Mate, easy. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for the questions. It's always nice to, to chat about it. This is the final word, story time. Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, thanks to Jason Roy for taking some time out of his afternoon to talk to me. Uh, in closing, thanks again to everybody who's been involved in our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the final word. Pop in a nerd pledge and be part of story time yourself. Uh, I mentioned a couple of weekends ago that we're still kind of vaguely in the hunt for a sponsor for story time, given that we've made the decision to keep doing it week in, week out. Uh, there's a good opportunity for your company or your brand. If you want to work with us, we have the space here and we'd love to talk to you so flick us an email to finalwordcricket at gmail.com as always thanks to uh, Dave Collins Astrid Edwards and Jay Mueller for making sure the final word gets on the park twice a week the weekly edition and the story time weekend edition a lot of work goes on behind the scenes and we're really grateful for their support in the bad producer production factory uh, the label that we're proud to be signed on to and lastly thanks to you Jeff you've done some hard yakka on the numbers this week you've really dug deep so it it makes a big difference when we're both able to uh, go for broke and I feel like we, we've both put in the yards this week which makes for a better show so thanks to you and for everyone for listening and, and, and for making sure that this is such a fun way to spend part of our weekend I uh, hope as the kid in the air regard ad said to Max Walker you will have a good weekend but replace Mr Walker with your name because you're not Mr Walker unless you are in which case we don't have to change anything that's what I wish for you alright everyone we'll talk to you on Tuesday I had to go about it